application security is hard, right? It's not an easy process where you just sort of throw together a few tools and a team and everything just works. There's a lot of challenges involved. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of competing tools. You know, there tends to be challenges in relationships. If you have mm -hmm. an InfoSec team that's outside of a development team. So yeah, there's definitely a lot that goes into it. Welcome to the future of application security a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Parikh, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Future of Application Security. Today, I have Chad Gerard with me. Chad is currently an Assistant Vice President of Information Security at LPL Financial. Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marshall. Chad, it is so lovely to have you here. And I'm sure you are sitting in, in nice, great weather out on the East Coast right now. Uh, it is better than here. It's very rainy out here in the West Coast. Now, I would love to welcome you to the show, introduce you to the rest of the audience here. Could you talk a little bit about your background, what do you do at LPL Financial, and what that scope involves? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So early in my career, I worked in some software development teams, moved over time into software testing. And then a little bit later in my career, I was working at a company in Massachusetts and People around me were all going to this really cool startup named Vericode. I had just been exposed to application security for the first time. Prior to that, we were using Fortify at that company and trying to understand static vulnerabilities and what all of that meant and the sort of pile of results that we were working against. And I ended up, as a result of some of those contacts, going over to Vericode. So spent a few years there working in their engineering team with Vericode clients and consulting with them on how to build and mature their application security programs. I then, after doing that for a couple of years, made the move over to LPL Financial. I decided instead of all of the consulting that I was doing, trying to guide these customers on how to build and mature their program, that I was actually going to try to do it myself and then see how well that would, that would work. So I came over to LPL and have been running their AMSEC program ever since. That's amazing. That's one other piece we share in common is I used to do a lot of consulting as well. And just looking at many, many different types of environments and many different types of security teams and solving their organizational security strategy and all those types of things. Eventually I got tired of consulting. I said, okay, let's go and do it for ourselves. So this is a very common thread between the two of us. When you were in consulting, and you, you briefly mentioned earlier before the podcast was that you were working with a lot of large organizations. Did you see whether they were operating differently, running through different challenges, or they were fairly similar from your perspective? What was your take? Yeah, I would say they were fairly similar. I think regardless of the size of the organization or the size of the teams, the problems or the challenges, you know, tend to be similar in nature, just different scales, right? And then you have, you do have customers or organizations that are all at sort of different levels of maturity, right? You might have one organization that's still figuring out how to make scans work. And then you, you might have another who has gotten everything to work, but they're sort of trying to figure out how to put it all together and how to build automation and make it more efficient. 
and then more mature organizations that are really working on their security champions program, ways to sort of build out relationships across the organization, things like that. Right, right. That's awesome. And I bet that experience working with many companies, many different security teams probably expedited your learning and your experiences as well. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely interesting to see where, you know, different organizations were in the AppSec journey, as well as the commonalities across most of that was very interesting because it it really sort of showed that application security is hard, right? It's not an easy process where you just sort of throw together a few tools and a team and everything just works. There's a lot of challenges involved. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of competing tools. You know, there tends to be challenges in relationships. If you have Mm -hmm. an InfoSec team that's outside of a development team. So yeah, there's definitely a lot that goes into it. Right, right. So then when you switched over to a more operational role of owning and leading AppSec at your current company, was that any different from the perception you had before? (laughs) So I would say overall perception, probably not. Uh, It definitely gave me a different perception on some of the tools that we use here. You know, coming from an AppSec vendor, I had taken for granted that some of the tools that I was using and the tools that we were building were sort of best in breed and maybe would be the best tool for everyone to use. And it turned out in a couple of cases that the tools, you know, that I had been working with at Veracode, you know, were not necessarily the best fit for everyone, depending on where the organization is in their in their maturity in the AppSec journey, as well as, you know, other tools and things that they have in place, languages that they write their applications in, things like that. Yeah. Right, right. That makes sense. In terms of your understanding of the problems at that point when you were at the vendor before, and then when you started solving those problems yourself, has that evolved over a period of time? Has that changed? I would say it has evolved. The problems from the vendor side were focused really mainly around uh, compatibility, right? Are you able to scan the languages that we write in and the applications that we have based on the way that they're deployed? And then are those scans as efficient as possible, right? Customers tend to want their scans to be as fast and as seamless as possible with the lowest number of false positives possible. And then when you get on the other side and you're running an AppSec program and you're working with the development teams and you start accounting for all the different scan tools that you're using and the processes that need to fit into your CI/CD pipeline, you know, the challenges become a little different. It becomes more about how do I hook all of this together? How do I make all of this work? And now that we have results from all of these various scanning tools, how do we aggregate those results in one place and get meaningful reporting and show where we're making progress each month, each quarter, each year? Right, right. So I can imagine you as a leader would want to measure those reports and communicate it out to your peers, to your leaders. What about folks, let's talk about two different personas, people in your team or security engineers in your team. Are there different problems that they're trying to solve in that case now that they're probably not spending as much time just, you know, running these tools and finding problems? Are they doing things differently? Yeah. So I think, you know, now that we have a sort of good overall process working and we have scans automated and sort of results flowing in all the time, the focus turns to how can we use these results to educate developers for one? How can we try to prevent these findings in the future? How can we partner with them to make meaningful progress and 
some of these, you know, flaw categories that we're seeing consistently. And how do we get developers' attention? Because a lot of times, you know, if you've worked in a development team before, you know that your number one priority is to deliver features, right? You are sort of at your, you know, product owner or product manager's beck and call, so to speak. And you're judged on what features you code and release and get into production, right? Those requirements don't always include releasing secure software. So yeah, the challenge I think that we face, one of the biggest challenges we face now is engagement with the development teams, getting them to care more about releasing secure code in the first place and not having to go back and fix these things later, as well as embracing things like secure code training. Yeah, and this is one of the questions that I personally struggled with a lot, meaning do we hope that we get engineers to care more about it and train them on this? Does that actually end up resulting in moving the needle? Or does it actually need more enforcement than that? Because I want to believe that almost every developer wants to do the right thing, right? Like usually people are not nefarious. They, they're not including you know, bad code intentionally in most cases. Agreed. So if we agree on that, then is it the training or lack of skills or lack of good intention? Is that what's leading to all the issues that we are seeing or is it something else? So I do think, you know, it's like I said earlier, they're sort of judged and graded and paid based on, you know, are they meeting their roadmap commitments, right? Are they delivering their features? So that's part of it. But I would say the rest of it is mainly attributed to a skills gap, right? Many developers have been developing for a long time and started developing applications before security was really a big concern and Mm. security requirements were baked in, right? So there is definitely a skills gap there and training is, is the way that we can address that gap. Right, that's a great way to look at it, right? So you're solving for the skills gap by training them, but then how do you address this gap where, okay, you know this person knows the right thing to do from a security perspective, but that's gonna take half a day more for them to do it and they're under the pressure to deliver this feature. How do you catch those types of quote-unquote exceptions, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, the most efficient way to do that is, you know, the buzzword or buzz phrase shift left, right? I think the best way to catch those things is to catch them as early as possible. So if you can use tools that bake your scanning into the process, you know, while developers are coding, right in their IDE, for example, and give them that feedback before they even save or commit their files, right? That's definitely a good way to do it that will help in that area. Another thing is by creating and maintaining a strong security champions program, right? If you can get people across the development organization to get more involved with security champions program, give them a a open channel of communication to the information security or application security team and sort of keep them engaged with trainings and security discussions and topics of interest that's another way that you can get a lot more buy-in. Right, right. Let me go back to what you were saying earlier, which is shifting left and going all the way back to into their IDE. But if what we're really trying to solve for is the incentive structure and they're incentivized to ship things code quickly, then I'm guessing that putting it things in the IDE won't really change their incentive structure. If they have to yeah. get things out quickly, maybe you know helping them figure out a faster way to fix things that might But, you know, are there any gates or things that just doesn't let them go forward if they don't meet a certain bar? Yeah, absolutely. So from an incentive structure, you know, that's where there's a higher level of buy-in that's required, right? You need buy-in from those product owners and product managers that 
security requirements have to be baked into those stories and that time has to be allotted for security work, right? And then, you know, the leaders of the development organization and the security organization need to understand that there will be security gates. So, you know, we use security gates based on results of those scans, builds will be blocked from being released. And once, you know, the teams sort of understand that that's part of the process, you can use that as well. Right, right. That's a good way to look at it. So you're helping them do the right thing by training them, educating them, supporting them through Security Champions program, but also you're catching the obvious bad behavior, or I shouldn't say bad behavior, but like insecure practices and obvious ones through gates to avoid those things manifesting into production. That's awesome. For somebody to build this security program, I think at least what I learned from this is the basics have to be done, you know, using automated tooling, shifting left, training your people, security champions program, but also the strategic buy-in from the product owners, especially. I've talked to a lot of people who would assume that as long as you train the developer, things will magically happen. That's not like you need that product owner, that engineering leadership commitment for them to agree that, yes, this will be a gate or this has to be, you know, security stories have to be added as a part of the product roadmap and product epics and whatnot. Absolutely. And once that buy-in sort of spreads across those groups, right, and you have product owners and scrum masters or product managers involved, then, you know, they start to look at things like threat modeling and even accounting for security risks or challenges or security controls in the requirements and design phase, right? Yeah. So then the whole process really moves to the left and you, you can avoid a lot of issues down the road. Yeah, that's awesome. And this might be a nuanced question, but in your mind, based on your experience, your point of view, who is the right person to establish that buy-in from all of these different product owners, engineering managers? Is this a security engineer or, you know, an individual on your team? Is it like, you know, the head of AppSec or CloudSec or is this the CISO or who should be doing this? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know that there's one perfect way to do that. I would say that in my organization, since I joined, it's really been me leading up that effort, but that's not something that I can do alone, right? I have worked hard to establish relationships with all of our development teams be as supportive and as instructive as possible to sort of build those relationships and build that trust, right? But there have been times definitely where I've partnered, you know, with our SVP or our CISO to communicate out, right? That these standards are going to be in place, that our AppSec, you know, process or workflows are changing at all, things like that. So, I mean, it definitely takes a few different people to- the buy-in because a lot of times you're going to need someone at a higher level really to communicate over and get that message to flow down into the teams that are necessary. That's awesome. And that's a great way to establish that. So for all of the audience who's listening to this, if you're a leader in security, it's your responsibility to figure out who needs to do this and, and get this done. Right? It's You can't rely on someone doing it. You have to do it. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So I think we were talking a little bit earlier about how things are different now as compared to what things used to be in the world of AppSec, you know, five, seven, 10 years ago or what have you. I'd love to get your take on what are the new problems that are emerging now because of, you know, the underlying macro situations. Yeah. So we still definitely face some of the same challenges, right? One that we just covered engagement from development teams, that challenge is still there because, you know, all of the incentives might not encourage secure coding just yet. 
We still deal with, you know, the lack of security knowledge, like we touched on as well. I think one challenge that has grown a lot over the last few years is this sort of results deluge, the results overload challenge that we have, right? Where a few years ago, you were trying to figure out how to put together an AppSec program and you're trying to figure out what tools you wanted to use. And then how do you evaluate the results from those tools? Well, now teams tend to have a whole suite of tools, right? Maybe from multiple vendors, in most cases from multiple vendors. So now it's become, okay, I have hundreds or thousands of results from all of these various tools each. And how do I make sense of all of those results? How do I keep up with them? And how do I do any meaningful reporting? So one of the challenges that we've had over the last couple of years, and one of the reasons that we chose our current AppSec vendor is because it had a tool that would allow us to import the results from all of our various scan tools into one place. And we'd be able to see results for application projects in a single pane of glass. How has that helped you? So it's helped because where in the past we would have to log in to three, four, or five different tools when we wanted to evaluate a project's release request, right? And we'd have to look at results in multiple places. It would take us an hour or more to determine, okay, these are all of the different tools that are scanning this application or this, this code base. And these are all the results that we need to sift through and contact the development team on any questions that we have or things that would be release blockers. Now we're able to pull up that application's profile in one tool and see all the results from all of the scan tools in one place, right? So we can now access all the results within a few minutes and work with the team against one condensed list. So that has been a big win for us. Right, right. Cool. So do you also expect your security champions and engineers or product owners to also use the same tool and self-service? Or is it primarily for your system? We do. No, we have opened up access to that reporting and aggregation tool to the development teams because we wanted the same thing for that, right? We didn't want them to have to log into multiple tools. That's just going to make their lives more difficult and delivering software that much harder. So we did open up access to the tool so that they can see the results in one place. And in most cases, the results that they view in that tool will have a link you know, to the other tool with the finding originates if they need more information. Right, detail. right. Yeah, and I've seen that pattern in several environments as well. Kind of what you're alluding to is there's a lot of different scanning engines or detectors that are being produced by different companies. Well, earlier you had the Veracos, Fortifies, and Synopsys uh, who are really, really the dominant players. But now you have even things like GitHub comes with, you know, Dependapod, for example, or GitHub Advanced Security if you pay for it. And same thing, like other DevOps platforms like GitLab and JFrog, and all of them have their own security tools. In a lot of cases, they're good enough and they're they're low cost as compared to best in class, you know, the most expensive security tools. So we've seen a lot of environments where they, you know, let go of their really expensive top tier SCA vendor and just go with something that comes with the platform itself. And maybe it's 70% as good, but that's good enough, right? And there's a lot of people sure. switching tools out. But the good thing is a lot of these developer platforms are now coming with security detection engines, whether it's AWS, you know, Container Registry or JFrog or GitHub or GitLab. So there's strong adoption of these security tools from the developer platforms itself. So, so then you're not... At least in, a, in an ideal world, you're not struggling to get those security scanners adopted by the developers, uh, right? So that's just 
a part of the platform. It just runs by itself all the time. That's not the case in, you know, all the time, but this is becoming a little bit easier over a period of time. So then the security team can focus on more higher order strategic things and uh, making risk-based determination or establishing some of the channels with, with the dev teams and whatnot. And I think you were alluding to some of those shift in role as well for your team in terms of how they are doing different things potentially as compared to, you know, what some teams might be doing five, seven, 10 years ago. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it has been interesting to see there's a lot of innovation in the AppSec space, right? It seems like there's there's a new vendor every week reaching out yeah. to me. So <laughs> it has been interesting to see how all of that has evolved. And you're right. There are so many tools to choose from, right? And the fact that they're baking them into all of these development tools and pipelines is awesome, right? It gives us a lot more options and it gives us more seamless options. Like you also alluded to, they're not and some of them are just okay. Some of them check the box, right, for scanning utilities and being able to say that you've done a scan. But then there are some, you know, newcomers as well who are being more innovative and bringing more robust features. So it's going to be very interesting to see, I think, over the next few years, whether there's, you know, a lot of consolidation with some of the leaders in these tools and different spaces. Yeah. But yeah, there's some cool stuff happening, definitely. What's the one problem that you wish somebody solved for you? That's funny. So a couple of years ago, I would have said a tool to get all of your results in one place. I have that now. So I would say a tool that helps you sort of string together all of those results in a more meaningful way, right? Not just aggregating results from various scan tools, but creating a story or making, tying them together in a better way, right? So that results are more deduplicated and sort of bumped up against each other. Am I getting the same kind of result from three different tools or the same code base, right? That obviously tells me that that's a pretty valid finding or that, that that's something that we should really spend time looking at versus you know something maybe more obscure, something that you're getting from one of your tools that may be lower severity and maybe isn't worth spending a lot of time on. So I think, a tool, that's one of the ways I love to see AI, you know, one of the, the hot topics lately, help us in the future is cutting through some of the noise, discerning what are real findings based on all of the information that we have at our disposal, right, from different scan tools, and maybe even looking, you know, closer at, at repos and things, and really highlighting the areas where we should be spending our time versus things that maybe are not quite as risky. Yeah, that's beautiful. That would be a really good outcome if some of the newer innovation in AI can string together these different pieces of context and build a story for you, as you said, and like build a story for you and for the developers. Say, absolutely. here's what you have to do and here's why this is important and here's the impact of not doing it or doing it. Right. On that note, Chad, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your learning, sharing your insights and advice to the audience here. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for listening to the Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.